Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Game Alone's podcast and another recording from the Monday Mortgage Melt, my live Q&A I do every Monday at 5pm over on my Instagram channel at the Sam Norris. Some great questions for you to listen to today that are in store for you, including whether you can get loans against your cryptocurrency portfolio, um, whether it's easier to get a mortgage for a leasehold or a freehold flat or house, as well as talking about how rich people use property to get wealthy, a really hot topic. Um, So hopefully you will enjoy this. Um, I'm not going to say anything further. I'm just going to roll and introduce my good friend, Sam. Hey everybody, how is it going? It's Monday. It's the Monday Mortgage Mail. In fact, it's episode 86 of the Monday Mortgage Mail. Can you Adam and Eve, we've been doing this live um, for 86 weeks on the trot. I know last week was a little bit different because uh, it took me, it's, I had a bit of a cold that took it out of me. As you can hear, still a little bit nasally even now. In fact, I was speaking to somebody earlier on and they actually said to me that they think that um, their philosophy is everyone's getting this cold at the moment and it's because we've all been in lockdown for two years, got zero immune system and now everyone's getting this horrible cold. Um, so I thought that was probably um, actually correct. But anyway, we're back on a Monday. We took a little reprieve last week where we went on a Tuesday. Does happen occasionally, but yes, mainly the Monday mortgage melt because that sounds so much better than the uh, you know the, the Tuesday mortgage melt. That sounds crap. Um, this is my weekly Q&A. Do it every Monday at 5 p.m. Actually managed to come on on time today, so congratulations to me. Sometimes I'm a couple of minutes late, and some of you actually picked me up on it, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah, my weekly Q&A where you can ask me anything you like in the world of property, property finance, investing, etc. Um, and it's my job to try and keep up with you guys and answer those questions as best as I possibly can. They have been, last couple of weeks, the questions have been getting like next level um, and they've really, really kept me on my toes. So um, so thanks very much, guys. It is appreciated. I get as much out of this as you guys do. Honestly, I absolutely love it. It's the reason why I actually really enjoy Mondays. Um, and obviously next week we've got a bank holiday um, and I will be doing my best to actually do it on a Monday next week as well. But I do look forward to this every single week because I love the questions that you guys ask me. And sometimes, and I said this earlier to a new, new potential client on the phone, you know, look, I don't have the answers to absolutely everything. Um, I, I know a fair bit, and I'll come on to that in a sec, but actually, um, you know, I have access to this information, and knowing what you guys wanna know allows me to go and access that information, find that information out, and use it to, um, you know, create better content that you guys actually wanna wanna watch, wanna view. So, um, so thank you very much again for uh, for spending a little bit of time with me on your Monday afternoons when you could be maybe getting off work early, going for a couple of pints down the local. You're sitting here with me, listening to me answer your questions and rabbit on about property for a bit. So thank you. Um, so yes, anything you want to discuss to do with property, property investing, um, property finance in particular then please do let me know and use the question box down here to ask me any questions you like. But you might be thinking, Sam, why should we listen to you? Well, um, as I just said, my name is Sam. I am the owner and director of Grand Union Finance, a specialist mortgage brokerage or property finance brokerage, as I like to call it, that specializes helping you guys, property investors and developers, fund your projects and fund your um, your the building of your portfolios. I've been doing this now since 2007, would you believe? Uh, that's 15 years for those of you that aren't so great with maths, like myself. A mortgage broker is not great at maths, doesn't matter, I've got a calculator, it's fine guys, don't worry about it. Um, so hopefully in that time, I've learned enough to be able 
to answer all of your questions to the best of my ability and we'll all learn something new hopefully over the next sort of hour or so. Um, but a little bit of housekeeping before we get cracking. As you can see, loads of people keep joining the live. Some of them even come on, see my ugly mug and go, oh, I'm out and they'll go, they'll go away. But every time someone joins, every time someone makes a comment, it pushes um, everyone, everyone else's previous comments and, and notifications that they've joined up and up and up and up. So if you use the comments box to ask me questions, I am not gonna see them and I'm gonna lose them. So please use the little question box down here because then what happens is it goes into a queue, I can go on, onto it, I can pick it out, I can get it on the screen as you'll see in a minute and it means everyone can see it and it means I won't miss your question which is vitally, vitally, vitally important. Now. Um, also, when people are joining, they won't, um, when they do join, they'll get some context as to what we're actually talking about because it will be there on the screen for them to see. So please use the question box. And if you do have any questions, chuck them in there. And as we're going along, as some of you are doing right now, which is really helpful, um, keep hitting the little heart button down the side. It actually tells Instagram that people are enjoying this live video. So Instagram will push it out to more people. The more people we've got on here, the more questions we get, the more we're all gonna learn. So let's try and do that as often as we possibly can, it's much appreciated. So for those of you that come onto this live pretty frequently, you will know that during the course of the day, I actually put a story out with a question box that I call my priority questions. And that's for anyone that wants to get their question in early doors. It's a little bit like when you're at Thought Park and you buy one of those, those passes where you can skip the queue. That's basically what those priority question box, uh, well, that priority question box is for. Um, so please use that in future if you wanna get yours in early doors. But that's what I'm gonna kick off with. I know I think I saw one or two uh, pop into that question box from earlier on, so I'm gonna get cracking. But if you have any questions in the meantime, guys, stick them down in here and I will come on to them. So let's get cracking, because we've been doing this now for six minutes and I haven't answered any questions yet. Um, so questions from stories earlier on. Creative finance ideas to get more deposit money, please and thank you. Okay, this is a good one. So actually, I was talking to somebody earlier on about utilizing equity in current properties in order to grow deposits. Now, when it comes to building portfolios, the, the D word, deposit, is, is an underrated, of underrated importance. As a property investor that is looking to grow a portfolio, finding the next deposit is possibly the most important thing that you need to be looking at. If you don't have deposits, if you don't have funds, then you can't buy property, it's simple as that. Okay, you can do lease options, all this kind of stuff. But let's be honest, uh, guys, actually a tiny percentage of people actually do them and do them well. The reality is that 99% of people are gonna get rich or gonna get financially free through more traditional routes. And there is zero wrong with that. In fact, I would actually say to people, don't go OTT on, I love the word creative. Um, I think of myself as quite a creative person, you know, myself. I, I believe that of myself. However, Sometimes reining in the creativity is the best thing that you can be, you can actually do. And following the path well trodden is actually going to lead you to where you want to get to. Most people, most people will become wealthy by, by mimicking or being inspired by and following the course that somebody else has already plotted. Very few people, guys, very few people of watching this, who follow me, who we see in the world of property, there's there's very few Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Elon Musks out there, okay? These are trailblazers that will do something outside of the norm. And as a result, someone like Jeff Bezos, 
they will become billionaires as a result. They're rewarded through wealth for doing something that 99.99999 other people in the world cannot and have not done. Now, none of us on here, maybe some of us do, but I'm willing to bet none of us on here have aspirations to the level of becoming the next Jeff Bezos or the next Elon Musk. And we don't need to be, okay? We just, we don't need to be there. We're here at the moment and we probably just need to be there. And to get to that point, you don't need to be that creative. You just need to follow the blueprint that other people have, have followed. Even to get onto the Times Rich List, believe it or not, 90% of the people on that Times Rich List have actually probably followed a very, very simple strategy when it comes to real estate. And that is they build a business that makes money and they use the money from that business to go and buy themselves some nice turnkey property investments, residential, commercial, nice mix. Probably not that many of them actually build anything. They just go and they buy it and they rent it and they make money and it accumulates um, in terms of the values as they go up over the years as well. And that is actually how you get rich when it comes to property, guys. Um, the whole kind of like, um, you know, BRR and all that kind of stuff, they're great, they are great, but they're very isolative isolative is that even a word anyone can tell me if isolative is a word if it isn't i'm coining that as a sam word now isolative they're isolative strategies that's when you look at property without thinking of diversifying your investment strategy whatsoever and i would highly recommend that if you want to gain financial freedom you do not just focus in on one type of investment strategies you need multiple income sources multiple opportunities and Look, I'm not, I'm not saying to, you know, to give in to shiny penny syndrome and then just go after everything, but that shouldn't be your sole purpose. And actually, you know, my, the, the investment strategy that I have is actually to invest in my business first and foremost, to build Grand Union Finance, finance, finance into a great cash flowing asset for me, remove myself part-time operationally from that business, trust others to be able to take over some of the stuff that I'm doing, still be the creative chairman at the top, you know, the person that is driving that business forward, but ultimately creating cash flow, helping as many people as possible with creating cash flow, um, and then investing it for long-term real estate investment and, and a few other bits and pieces as well, because that is how 90% of the people on the Times Rich List do it. That's how people become rich. But anyway, let's get back to this question, because that was a little bit of a side note, <clears throat> but I wanted to, to sort of get that in, because I do think it was important. So creative finance ideas, okay? There's loads of things you can do, but let's talk first and foremost, let's isolate this into how can we release equity for a property, okay? Because actuated, yes, isolative is a word. Damn it, I come up with these weird words all the time and um, thanks TX for ruining my day. <laughs> um, but cool, so creative finance ideas, okay? So let's talk about getting money out of, out of current properties first and foremost, okay? So there's basically three ways to get out money out of, a, out of a portfolio that you or a portfolio, a property that you already own with a uh, with equity in it. Number one is simple. Go to your existing lender. Okay, if you're with if you've got a residential mortgage with Santander and you want to take some cash out of that because you want to go and buy some more properties, go and speak to Santander first and look and see if they can offer you a further advance. Now you need to be cautious when it comes to this kind of stuff because sometimes your further advance and your fixed rate won't match up, which means you'll have this weird period where you can't refinance the whole thing altogether because otherwise you're gonna you're gonna incur costs to do say early repayment charges etc. Also, they're unlikely to um, to lend you as much as some of these other 
uh, options. So that's something to take into account as well. But that's the first thing that we look at because it's going to be the cheapest option for funding and relatively quick as well, you know, maybe a couple of weeks. If that isn't going to work or you can't quite get how much you want, the next option is a second charge. Very specialist type type lending. We need to go to second charge lenders or some, some specialist lenders that do second charges that do first charges as well, but on the whole specialist lenders and they will sit behind your first charge, your Santander, your NatWest, whatever it might be, um, and they will offer you a second charge, which means when you sell that property, the first charge lender gets their money first, the second charge lender gets their money second, whatever remains you get off the back of that, okay? Now, generally, it's about 2%, 3% more per, per annum in terms of interest rate. So it's, it is a bit more expensive, but chances are you'll be able to borrow more because these lenders are a lot more flexible when it comes to the uh, sort of income multiples that they'll go to on a residential uh, second charge mortgage than a first charge mortgage will. They might go to six, six and a half uh, times. Now, don't overstretch yourself, people, and make sure you always have an exit strategy for this. It's vitally important. Don't get stuck in the rut of having crap ton of finance, particularly on your own home, because that could get you into a load of trouble. And I've seen that countless times over the years, and I don't want that for any of you because it is very stressful for all involved, particularly you as the borrower. You don't want to overstretch yourself. Always give yourself a little bit of a comfort blanket, particularly at the moment where as rates are starting to, you know, go up relatively rapidly. Um, you know, we've seen three increases in the last three times that the Bank of England's uh, Monetary Policy Committee have convened. And there's every chance that we might get another one coming our way um, next month as well. Um, although I'm kind of hoping that they don't actually, because I think they need to just have a break. Uh, but there we go. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I've, I've spoken about that a lot. Um, so that's the next option that we go to. Now, the third option is that we can use the collateral as a bridge. Now, not that many people know that on, when it comes to a residential uh, property, um, all funding um, that is secured against a residential home falls under the regulation of the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority. That's the main governing body for finance in the UK, um, and they're, they're in charge of it. Now, very few bridging lenders actually lend um, on a regulated basis. We call it regulated lending because it's under the uh, observation, under the regulation of the FCA. So we call it regulated funding. So there's only a pocket of bridging lenders that do it. Um, they're very good. They're not as great as the non-regulated ones. Um, and I'll come on to a second. The unregulated, it's not non-regulated, un unregulated, get the right terminology sound, unregulated loans, um, they are still regulated. They're just regulated by the PRA, the Prudential Regulatory Authority, and it just it's basically they're unregulated by the FCA, if that makes sense. But don't worry, they're still regulated. Everything's above board here. Um, however, um, if you get a second charge bridge against your own main residence and you um, are using the funds for business purposes, i.e. you're going to put it into a limited company because you're going to buy a property, that can be counted by some lenders. It's like a little grey area. Some will count that as unregulated. So that means you can access some unregulated lenders as a result. There are also some lenders that will, even though you'll have two separate entities in terms of ownership, as long as the entities are the same in terms of ultimate beneficiary owner, so main residence, you own, new new property that you're raising the funds to purchase, you own but through a limited company, most lenders will allow that as one application, which is really, really helpful to know. And it will kind of be a split in terms of the security and the lending, etc. So that's the third option you do. So they're kind of what I would call my standard options for 
raising raising money essentially. Um, now there are other ways that you can raise money. Now, did you know that you can actually raise a, a loan against uh, a stocks and shares portfolio? Did you know that you could raise it? You can actually borrow money against cash that you have in the bank. You can borrow money, amazingly, against a cryptocurrency portfolio. So. This is so brilliant, and I actually think this is something that could be massive over the next five years or so. So can you imagine, right, you're one of the 100,000 people since cryptocurrencies came into existence that has become a cryptocurrency millionaire. However, you are really, really, um, you know, your, your, all your money basically is in crypto. And as I said earlier on, when it comes to, you know, um, investing, you want to diversify. Now, what better way is there to diversify than to use the um, portfolio that you have to borrow money cheaply to invest it into other things so that you're diversifying your portfolio? So that could be crypto into property. It could be property into crypto. It could be crypto into stocks. It could be stocks into bonds. So you are basically diversifying your, your portfolio by borrowing, okay? This if you take one thing from this, guys, this is it. This is like freaking Wealth Building 101. You know Peter Jones, Dragon's Den Peter Jones, been bankrupt a couple of times. He has gone on record as quoted to say that he wants to um, die with as much debt as he possibly can. Billions of pounds worth of debt. Now, you might be thinking, what the fuck? Why do you want so much debt? He knows that if he has got billions in debt, that he is making billions because he's put that money to work. This is the key difference between, look, and I am a student of success, okay, guys? I read so much about Elon Musk, Phil Knight, um, Bill Gates, um, Richard Branson. I read all, their, all the biographies about all these guys. I find it absolutely fascinating. My wife came home the other day and found me on Amazon watching a documentary about Elon Musk. And she said, oh my God, who the fucking hell have I married? Um, <laughs> she thought it was incredibly boring. Um, so, but this is genuinely like just Wealth Building 101. Understanding how to put money to work means that you can look over here and you can say, okay, this money over here, and this is how banks work, by the way, guys. I can take money over here at 3%. I can make that money go to work over here at 7%. And that means that I am making 4% on that money. That is how you become rich, people. You take money and you borrow it from somebody else and you make more. Did you know that one of the biggest reasons why, or oh, hang on, someone's put, with crypto borrowing, I assume it needs to be a low LTV, otherwise it could be liquidized. No, up to 80%. I think you can borrow up to 80%. Now, I'm actually doing a lot of research into this at the moment because it's something that I think that I we, we need to look at. Um, I'm speaking to a lot of banks about it. It's very new, very early stages, but I really want to get into this because I think it's a huge opportunity for people to diversify their portfolios from an investment point of view. And as somebody that loves this kind of stuff, yeah, I'm a real student for it. So yeah, it's, um, it, is, it is something that, that's, that's coming off. Now, I was going to make a point then. I've completely forgotten what it was, <laughs> but never mind. Um, basically, what I'm saying, guys, is that if you can understand how to take money from one side of the... Oh, that's it. I was going to talk about RBS. Okay. Back during the credit crunch time, some of you will remember that there was uproar, absolute uproar. There were people protesting in the streets, 
when um, the government bailed out RBS, the Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, and to be honest, they did, they mismanaged money. You know, they, they paid people too much in terms of their um, their bonuses, all this stuff, whatever you want to think, that's, that's, that's fine. However, the government did not have a choice. And the reason they didn't have a choice, because RBS fund so many other banks. We have, we already had, a, that's the reason we had a credit crunch, because RBS were, were calling in all their loans. You'll find if RBS and maybe like three or four massive institutions are up here at the top, they will borrow, their interbank lending is huge. They will be lending to other banks, who lend to other banks, who lend to other banks. It's how it works. And every single time someone's just making a little margin. You look at a bridging lender, for example, um, you might have RBS lend to Shawbrook, for example, I'm pretty certain Shawbrook have RBS as one of their funders. Shawbrook will borrow that money at 2%. And then what they will do is they'll lend it to you on a bridging loan at 11%. And they'll charge you 2% for the privilege or 1.5% as the privilege. This Can you see how these banks are making so much money? You know, but it's, it, but it's okay. Like this is the banks. I'm not saying this in a negative way. This is brilliant. This is so clever. This is amazing because what they're doing is they are reusing cash to solve problems. So RBS are not going to lend that money out on a bridging loan themselves because they don't have the capacity to do that. They give it to others that do. And that's how that whole system works. So, but if you can create your own bank, this is how this is how private offices, family offices work. They have money, they have money, and it, they just they're constantly looking for opportunities to lend that money out and get better, um, you know, have get get better uh, returns than they would do by just leaving it in in the bank. In fact, it's actually going to erode away if you leave it in the bank at the moment. Eighty percent is high. What happens if the if it bombs and halves in value? The loan is more than assets and expectancy. What happen if it's never recovered? Yeah, do you know what? I don't know. This is this is this is so cutting edge. This is so brand new. There's so few lenders that do it. There's more than you might anticipate, but so few lenders. I am in the research stage of this right now. And as soon as I know more about this kind of stuff, don't you worry, guys. I will be flooding this channel <laughs> with, with how this works uh, because I think there's so much opportunity for people out there. You know, I'll be contacting all of those, you know, crypto millionaires and saying, did you know you can diversify by doing this? Um, by the way, guys, Anything that I'm saying on here, please don't take this as actual financial advice. I do not know your individual circumstances. Some of you don't even know your names. Ask photographs. I'm sure that's not your Christian name, is it? Photographs is a very strange surname. Um, so I can't physically give you individual advice. Um, so don't go out there and start, you know, taking out all these loans because I've said that's the best thing to do. Um, it, this is not official advice, guys. Okay. So, but as soon as I find out more about these crypto loans. I will let you know about them. But I've spent 22 minutes on the first question. It's probably time we crack on with the next one. By the way, guys, if you do have any questions, please don't forget to stick it into the question box down here. Don't leave it in the comments. You know, what Ask Photographs has done is absolutely fine just then. You know, it's getting involved in the conversation. That is fine. But if you have a specific question that's going to be our jumping point for our next discussion, please stick it down here. And if you are loving this, which I'm hoping that you are, um, please, please, please um, make sure that you um, you press the little like button, the little heart at the bottom. Alex bumped uh, into you at Tej's meetup with D. Hi, Alex. Yes, good to good to have you on board. It's a really good little little meetup. I'm really hoping to go to D Ludlow's next five D event in uh, in um, in Cardiff as well. I'm all I'm at a different event in London, in um, Birmingham in the afternoon. The investors. Um, 
the invest event that's happening at Edgebaston Cricket Ground. So I'm going to be a bit all over the shop uh, that that week, uh, that day. Uh, but I'm going to see if I can get down to that one. Um, but cool. So um, let's get on to the next question, guys, which is from... Um, Oh, let's get down to the bottom. It's from uh, Shaima, which is, I'm a leaseholder property owner. Will we buy in the freehold? Would that increase the property as a value? So this is an interesting one, actually, because so um, if you so if you own if, you, if it's a flat within the um, the a building that has several flats in it, if you own the leasehold, that will have its own value. If you own a share of the freehold, that's, that is unlikely to, to actually give you that much more value from a lender's perspective. It may actually reduce your lending options, which is, which is amazing, because lenders like things to be nice and simple. Flats, they want to be leasehold, houses, they want to be freehold. Any alteration from that, and it will remove certain lenders from your, from your options, uh, essentially, which is really, really annoying, but it's the way that it is, unfortunately. Um, if it's a leasehold house, and you, own the, and you buy the freehold, then absolutely yes. One thing you might, might want to try and do is alter the legalities on that and turn that back into a freehold, um, if that's the case. Um, but yeah, basically what you want to try and do with any property you have, this goes back to what I was saying before, guys, don't overcomplicate things if you can help it. In fact, if you can decomplicate things, that'd be great. Let me tell you a story about something that happened about four years ago. I had a client um, that wanted to, to raise some money on an unencumbered home that they had uh, just outside of London. No, actually it wasn't, it was in, it was in West London. Um, and the property, <laughs> the property was owned um, in a limited company that was registered in the British Virgin Islands. Um, and it was held in trust in um, the Isle of Man, okay? So they were two layers above, and he also lived in it. He rented it from his own limited company, which is really peculiar. So we had to go to a very specialist um, bank. They lent him some cash, and the reason he was borrowing the, uh, some of that money was so that he could what, do what we call de-envelope. Now, this was the best thing, in some, you know, I said to him, this is exactly what you should be doing. You know, you want to uncomplicate this. He got some bad financial advice when he first moved over here from abroad and that's the the, the sort of the um the, the structure that they recommended ultimately it was overcomplicated it was unnecessary and actually the, the cash that he's then gonna have to fork out to the envelope to change that structure back to something more simple is gonna is just gonna remove all of the you know uh not avoidance uh, efficiencies that he had with his tax you know through through setting that up and it probably cost him loads of money to set up in the first place Anyway, fast forward four years and the client's back saying, right, we're coming to the end of my, my fixed rate. I want to refinance. I actually want to raise some money on this because I want to buy a home for myself. I'm now renting the property and living abroad over in Australia. Now, as it transpired, he hadn't de-enveloped. He hadn't uh, changed the structure from a positive perspective. He'd actually made it much, much more difficult because this property that was owned by a company in the BVI, that's registered in, in BVI, uh, British Virgin Islands, was now held in trust by an Australian company Sorry, now owned hold the that company was owned by a holding company that was registered in Australia, and the and it was owned and it was run by a trust that was based in Singapore. So now we had an an, an extra layer, and it was also based over in Australia as well. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, but it's a great story of what you just should not do. So this coming back to this question, if you own a property that's a leasehold, that it's a house. Okay, fine. So. Um, thanks for for jump for chucking that in. So yeah, if you're buying a property, if you're buying a house that's got that's a leasehold house, don't 
And if you can, buy the freehold and just make it legally just a freehold house again. Because otherwise you're just gonna limit your options when it comes to, um, to getting a mortgage on it. And again, it's actually gonna be, I think it will limit the value because the market you're gonna have is gonna be fewer because if you've got a residential buyer, there are gonna be fewer lenders that are gonna offer on a leasehold house, okay? So whatever you've got, if it's a flat or, or, or a house, make sure that if you possibly can, unless there's a really, really good reason for it, and there's a really good opportunity, you know, buy these properties and, and, and get them to be as simple as you possibly can. Leasehold flat, freehold house. Got it? Good. Cool. <laughs> right, let's go on to the next question. Um, if you're enjoying this, guys, by the way, keep hitting that heart button. I've uh, got a few people on now, which is great, which means we should get more and more questions. So, um, Srinamar, Srinamar, I'm probably pronounced that really badly. I am so, so sorry. I, Hi, Sam. I can't seem to get any traction in putting together a bridging development finance and solicitors together. I had written to you in this regard, but uh, but well, but I appreciate how busy you are. Okay, cool. Well, look, um, I've just replied today to all of the messages that were outstanding, I believe, on Instagram. So I may well have come back to you um, on this by now. But um, in terms of solicitors, okay, um, there are solicitors and then there are solicitors. I believe that everyone in their power team, power team, uh, trendy word, um, should have more than one solicitor. Um, not least of all because at the moment solicitors are really busy. We've had a situation today where one of my clients has actually been told by their solicitor that it's going to take them two months to do the legals on a, on a standard remortgage. Absolutely ridiculous. So we're finding a, a different, we're going for a different solicitor. Um, but um, so you want a couple to do your, your standard stuff just in case some aren't on your on panel or you know they're busy, whatever. But you also want two different types of solicitors at the very least. You want a solicitor to do your standard residential stuff, your remortgages, if you're buying a property with a mortgage, that kind of stuff, or buying cash, just need standard um, solicitor because they're not gonna cost as much because actually the legal work is relatively straightforward. Now, if you're using bridging finance or development finance, you will need to use what we would call a commercial conveyancer, okay? Commercial conveyancer, very, very important. These are people that, because Bridging and development finance is commercial finance. That's what I call it, commercial finance, because that's what it is. It is finance for a property business purpose, I guess. And as a result, this finance is a lot more complicated. The requirements that are asked of a solicitor, of the legal team, are more difficult. In fact, they actually rely on the expertise of the solicitor much, much more than a mortgage lender will with their solicitor, okay? So um, a mortgage lender will send an instruction manual along with the offer to your solicitor to follow. Very, very straightforward. I've seen them myself. I haven't been through university to do a law degree and I could probably manage to figure out a decent proportion of them, okay? So that just goes to show it's a very, very like kind of like cut and, cut and paste type operation and most solicitors are, are absolutely fine with it and, and it, it's, it's not, not overtly complicated basically. When it comes to bridging finance or development finance, um, the, the, the lender will generally send like kind of a one size fits all kind of list to your solicitor whose job it is to then kind of dish out the jobs to themselves, the seller's solicitors, and maybe the, you know, maybe you as the borrower. Um, and they also need to go down and uh, get rid of all the things that actually aren't relevant and, and report that back to the lender's solicitors and say, well, these bits aren't relevant. And the lender's solicitors are quite, you know, okay with that. They know that they're gonna get that response as well then all the stuff that is given to 
they give themselves to do as jobs, they have to know what to do. There's no instruction manual on how to do it. They need to know how to do it and when to do it and all that kind of stuff. So, pardon me. So that's why you need to employ the services of somebody that is much, much, much more um, understanding of and has the experience of doing this. Now, here's a little trick for you, if you're listening, as to how to pick these out. Okay, first and foremost, if you go onto a, like a, a, a solicitor's website, you'll be able to see if they, if they mention sort of bridging, development finance, commercial conveyancing, that kind of stuff. But here's what I would ask them when you get on the phone. How many bridging loans uh, applications have you been involved with in the last six months? And can you let me know which lenders they are? And if they ask why, I just say, oh, because, you know, when, when I speak to my broker and they recommend the lender, I will then, I, if, if, you, if you've already said that you've worked with them previously, that's just going to be easier. Not to say that you won't be able to work with ones that you haven't worked with, but, you know, you will be able to, you know, hopefully uh, that will actually help if, if there are two that we can marry together. Um, if they can't answer those two questions, then it chances are, they're actually kind of maybe overstating their experience in this department. Now, everyone deserves a chance to, to, to learn, but we don't really want them to learn on your case. We want them to learn on someone else's. Um, but that's what I would do. If a client comes to me and says, how many bridging loans have you done in the last six months? I'd go, bloody hell, probably 20, 30, maybe, maybe 25, something like that in the last six months. What lenders have you worked with? Shawbrook, MT Finance, Funding 365, Octane, um, who else? Octopus, Lend Invest, you know, we've we've loads, Tuscan, uh, Signature Finance, you know, I can reel them off because these are the these are the guys that we've been using. Um, and if your solicitor can't do the same, that shows that they maybe aren't as, you know, on on it as maybe they're saying. So that's what you need. So moral of the story for this, guys, is pick when you, you when you need to be a when you need to um use bridging finance or development finance, make sure you have the right solicitor on board for this. Um, and you need to, you know, go through those questions just to, you know, just to make sure they definitely have the experience you need. But have a, have a, a selection of solicitors available to you. My best clients, when we are doing refinancing or buying new properties, we ask them, you know, we, we know that they've got three or four solicitors that they will work with. And when we're putting together applications, just a case of, oh, you know, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, which of your solicitors are you using on this particular one? Oh, we'll use John on this one. John at ABC Solicitors. Awesome, great. Um, or they'll, they'll ring around and they'll say, what's your capacity like at the moment? Oh, we're really, really busy at the moment, Mrs. Client. Okay, great. Ring the next one. How much capacity like? Oh yeah, we've got, we're actually doing okay at the moment. We, we're happy to take on this case this week. Great. That's, and then you, that's what you can do. You can, you can speak to them and also you obviously match them up to, to panels as well. So that's the answer to that question, guys. That's what you need to be doing. Now, very, very quickly, um, just as a bit of a, um, you know, uh, resetting uh, this live video, if you want to ask me a question, please make sure to put it down in the question box down here because you put it in the comments. I am going to miss it. Look how many people just keep coming in, maybe leaving after they see my ugly mug. Um, and uh, and so we, we I will lose your question if you put it into the comments. If you're enjoying it, keep hitting the little heart button. Um, maybe just, you know, set a timer on your on your watch every two seconds just to keep hitting that heart button. It sends a message to Instagram and says, this is a great live. We can get more people on, we get more questions. Happy days. We all learn something. So, right, let's get back to the questions. Um, and Brennan27 has asked, I've just completed on buying a bottom floor flat. I am now in talks with the owner of the above flat for me buying. Any advice on how best to go about this? 
what to watch out for, saving on fees, any advice appreciated. Okay, so this is great. Now, one thing that I'd be very, very cautious about on this is, um, or to be honest, in this, in this instance, you're probably gonna be okay. But um, one thing you need to be aware of if you own multiple properties within a, um, within a flat, uh, block of flats, is lenders exposure limits, okay? So lenders will have exposure limits. And what that means is they will only lend on a certain number of properties or a certain percentage of the properties within a block of flats. Some lenders will only lend on one, some will lend on say 50%, some might lend on all of them up to a certain limit. So for example, recently we've done a refinance of four separate property, four separate flats, all within one, um, one structure one freehold, we've also done the refinance of six individuals. On the flip side, um, if you own the freehold and the titles aren't split, you can get a multi-unit freehold mortgage across all of them. Alternatively, you can actually, if you had like say eight and you wanted to just go with one lender, you could get a commercial mortgage on, on, the, on top of those. So that's something to take into, into account. But in this instance, if it's just gonna be two flats, um, then you would own 100% of the leasehold properties within that block. Now, this comes back to the, a little bit to the last question I'm talking about freehold. Um, now, if you own all the leasehold flats within a block, but you don't own, own the freehold, um, you, you can't get a loan um, against, the, against the whole freehold. So you would have to do it individually. And it's, then it's down to the lenders. Because you own two, you know, owning, even some lenders might not even lend on one because you own 100% of the of the. Uh, units within that block okay so what that means is that if their limit is 50% just doing one will take it to 50% if that makes sense so this is something to ask your broker about or speak to your lender about is just checking the exposure limits of these properties um, before you actually uh, start the application process because actually they might not pick up on this during like the AIP slash application part of it. It might only then get picked up in um, in underwriting when you send in details of the rest of your properties. So yeah, it's something to be beware of. Um, ask properties, so be careful if you buy the flats to then make it to a house lenders can deem it um, contravenous, the, um, contravenous lending, can't remember where I saw this. Yeah, look, any, any, any change in the type of property during the course of a loan is going to probably um, go against the contract that you have. It's going to break the contract that you have with that lender. Your contract is your mortgage offer, don't forget. So if you say bought, um, you, you already own one flat, you buy the other one, you, you have two separate mortgages. If you then own the freehold and you convert it back into a house, you are um, you know, directly going against your, your mortgage offer because you then have two, two loans against one property. It's all over the shop the lenders are gonna call in those loans. So what you're probably gonna to have to do is simultaneously, well, you might even have to take out some kind of bridging loan just to temporarily give you that reprieve to be able to turn it back into a house and then get a new mortgage on it afterwards. There's very few places, there are some places, but there's very few places actually where turning a block of flats back into one big house will actually add value. Um, I did have one client recently that looked to buy one, um, didn't in the end for various reasons, but I could see that the value of the house would have actually been more than the four flats that were actually currently in it, which was actually incredible. Don't come across that very often. So generally speaking, you know, if you turn, if you if you are were to buy the other one, and that that meant that you had you owned the whole thing, 
turning that back into a house might not be the best thing to do. And you're probably gonna be in breach of your, of your mortgage contract, your mortgage offer to do that as well. So two things to be wary of. If you are planning to, to, to do that, if you are planning to convert it back into a house, just be wary of, of lenders and, and breaching contracts and breaching offers. And also uh, just be wary of exposure limits with lenders moving forward. Um, in terms of like saving money and stuff like that, it's a, it's a it's a sale at the end of the day. Doesn't matter whether you own the flat, you know, five five meters down the road, five miles down the road, or in the same block. You're still buying a new separate entity. Stamp duty, legal fees, all this kind of stuff is still going to be there. There really isn't any uh, avoiding this. Um, talking of tax, actually, on a slight tangent, just uh, just while I think about it, we were talking about this in in my in my London office um, last week about for every pound. The, there was a study done recently that for every pound that goes through the system, um, the, the government can get about 70p's worth of tax out of it for various reasons. Because if you think that, you think about, oh, you know, VAT is X percent um, tax, uh, stamp duty is X percent tax, all, all this kind of stuff, whatever. Um, you know, you're, pay, you're paying tax on, um, tax rates on petrol, whatever it might be. That for every, in every cycle, you know, a pound going through the system, the government can actually tax it multiple times. And so, and it, and it absolutely, it blew my mind a little bit when we were thinking about this, that if you think, you know, you, you, you earn a, a pound, you spend it, um, you, you, you're, to earn it, you're, you're paying tax on it. Um, to spend it, you're paying tax on it. You give it to somebody who has to pay tax on it to earn it, and then uses it to spend it and pays tax on it. Like, it's incredible when you think about it. Um, so the government are probably making more and more tax than we ever thought. Um, and yeah, it's a very, very, very clever system. But there we go. Um, so cool. Hopefully, Brennan, that was really, really helpful. Um, if it was, um, give me a little thumbs up in the comments. Um, if it wasn't, let me know and I'll see what I can do to help. Right, so we've got about 20 odd minutes left. So um, I think we are down to our last couple of questions, which is awesome. Um, so Ask Properties, uh, sorry, Ask Photographs has asked, is it possible to get developer lending in any country, i.e. Ireland? And would you need the land drawings and planning approval before you can get an agreement in principle? Really, really good question. There's two questions in here recent, uh, really. So let's answer them separately. So it's jurisdiction and process. Okay, so let's talk about jurisdiction. Yes, you can get development finance in pretty much any country in the world. Always go to the country, if you can, to get the finance. If you have a project in Ireland, go to an Irish bank. If you have a project in Germany, go to a German bank. If you have a project in Spain, then go to a Spanish bank first and foremost. Because generally speaking, lend, banks don't like to lend, you know, uh, cross-jurisdiction, effectively. So in the UK, lenders will lend on property in um, England, Wales, Scotland, and occasionally Northern Ireland. The, uh, most lenders will lend, pretty much every lender lends in England and Wales. Some lenders don't like Scotland, some lenders don't like Northern Ireland. Um, not in terms of the people and the countryside and all that kind of stuff, just in terms of they won't uh, lend and securitize their money against property in that country, that's all. Um, so, but if you have a property in Ireland, then you wouldn't go to a, um, you know, a UK bank necessarily to get the development finance on that. You would go to a lender in Ireland to do that. So that's the first thing that I think we need to be um, be careful of. The second thing uh, is let's talk about process now. So you are looking to purchase a site that you want to develop. Now, how do we go about getting development finance Like in terms of what, what is the process of doing that? Now, there is nothing wrong in starting the process before you have the planning application in hand. There may be some fees that we need to pay, but you're gonna be paying fees to get the, the, the planning application underway anyway. We will not be able to draw down on the development finance 
until the planning is in place, which often means that a lot of my clients, um, if the planning isn't in place, they might um, exchange on the land or the site subject to planning permission being approved, which gives them a get out of jail free card if they uh, do not get that um, that planning approval because otherwise the site is not as, as, as valuable to them as it would be normally. So site hasn't got planning. We can buy the site with a bridging loan. We don't need planning to get a bridging loan. But if you want to get the development finance aspect, so for example, I've got a client recently who's purchased a property um, using a bridging loan. They're in the process of getting the planning at the moment. Once the planning is in place, we will refinance it effectively onto development finance. So that's 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 quite key. Um, but we can start the process. So we can we can get the the, the head. We call it heads of terms. Um, that's where we would put together a funding proposal, send them off to the relevant lenders. They'll come back with the, the terms that they will offer, and we will be able to um, will be able to uh, move ahead with that to to get to a sort of their version of a decision in principle stage, which means that we'll get um, you know we'll get the um, we'll get the thumbs up, we'll get the terms in place, all that kind of stuff. We'll get a shopping list of information that we need, and we could even progress down the route of maybe getting a evaluation then done. Uh, we can get the underwriting done, but effectively, we can't really move through all of the legals until the planning permission's in place. Um, so that's kind of where that where that process is. Um, in fact, I'm considering, guys. You tell me what you think. Over this uh, this long weekend, I purposely haven't made any plans for myself because I've been so busy over the course of this year so far. I thought I was going to take four days to kind of chill out a little bit. But one thing I was thinking about doing is a um, is a live stream over on my YouTube channel, specifically talking about development finance. Um, so let me know in the comments if you think that's a good idea. Um, if it is, I'll uh, I'll start the process of um, of putting that together, and I'll let you guys know my stories when that's actually going to come out. But in terms of the process with development finance, yeah, we can get. The, you know, the proposal in, we can get the, the agreement on the terms. Obviously, that will be subject to the planning application being approved before, you know, we, it's, um, they can actually draw down and you can complete on the purchase. But that's a pretty normal sort of scenario, if you like. So there we go. Happy days. Hopefully that, uh, that answered the question. So I think we're on to our last question. Let's have a look. So BAM Property has asked, I've just agreed a sale of a terrace property, but it's on an unadopted road. Can I get SA lending? So again, this 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 boils down to a question of um, of comp levels of complicatedness. Okay, so with every with every unique point there is to a uh, to a to a scenario, the fewer lenders we have options for. So every single time something happens that makes your proposal a little bit unique. We remove lenders from the option from the op option because the criteria is not met. The more we've got, the fewer we have until we eventually get to zero. I actually, unfortunately, had that earlier on this year with a client who wanted to refinance a leasehold, um, no, a a freehold flat on a serviced accommodation mortgage, and there weren't any lenders in the UK that would do that because they were two quite unique points. Service accommodation is a very restricted market anyway. It's re relatively new, old school holiday let. Yeah, great, whatever, but. Um, the kind of the service accommodation is very much wild west at the moment. We are where we were with HMO stuff like five, six years ago. So the criteria is not generalized yet. Lenders can't even work out what to call it. So there are fewer lenders available for service accommodation mortgages than there are for buy to let HMO. Um, you know, that, that kind of stuff is a very, very, very niche market at the moment. Um, and you know, so it's, it's, it's small anyway. 
when we then factor in anything weird to do with kind of the roads and stuff like that, that's when you're really niching down. Now, bam, I'm not gonna say you can't get lending because this would require additional research. Um, because basically we've got to marry up a list of all the lenders that would lend on a property on an unadopted road, of which I would imagine there's quite a small number anyway. We then have to look at all the lenders that will lend on a service, will have a service accommodation or short-term let product. Because don't forget, service accommodation, you know, in terms of how you rent that property in that respect, is not a criteria point, it is a product, okay? So we have to then go look at lenders who have those products available. Then we've got to look at both those lists and see which ones of those actually end up on both lists. And then, then we have to take into account all the other circumstances surrounding your, your situation, the rest of you know the, the property, the area, all that kind of stuff to actually see if it covers off the rest of the rest of the criteria. So it could be one or it could we could have two lists and there could be no crossover whatsoever. I don't know that until I look into it, but that's effectively you know how mortgage brokers will do the first part of their research. The quick part is let's create lists of all the criteria points, let's cross-reference, let's see which lenders are on every single one of those lists. We can then make our short list and that's when we start our proper broking job of getting on the phone and talking through and figuring out how we can make things work. But basically, if we create those two lists and, there's, and there's, there is no crossover between the two, effectively you're, you're buggered unfortunately. They are two things at the moment, unadopted roads and service accommodation, they are two short lists. So the likelihood of a crossover is lower than with various other scenarios. So sorry to be the bearer of bad news, um, but happy to look into it. Um, if you are uh, looking to purchase that and you are in need of a broker, then obviously just let me know um, and I'm happy to have a look into that for you. Um, but cool, that, I think that was the last question. Let me just have a little look. That was the last question. I managed to get through them all. Obviously, I'm getting better at this. Um, <laughs> um, but guys, look, um, if you do have any last minute questions, we've got about sort of five minutes left. Um, but just quickly to let you know, so if, you, if you're coming on here late, this live video will be on uh, Instagram TV, on my feed um, after this, pretty much straight away. It will go up on my feed, so you can check that out. Um, but if you don't want to watch it and you just want to listen to it, fingers crossed, Instagram allows me to download this, this video. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it, it, it does. Um, but I will be uploading it if it does tomorrow morning at seven, eight o'clock over on my podcast, the Game of Loans podcast. So you can listen to it back on the commute into work tomorrow or at any point during the day if you're getting a bit bored at work. Um, so you will be able to to listen in there. Second uh, series of Game Alone Pods podcast has been out for a couple of weeks now. I think we're up to about five or six episodes of the second series. Some really good guests so far. You can also listen back to all of the um, the last few weeks worth of um, Monday Mortgage Melts as well, which is awesome. Now, I am starting to build up a bit of a guest list of um, guests that are going to come on onto my new live show over on YouTube, um, which is called Show Me The Money. We're gonna be talking about all sorts of different types of investments, um, not just property, but building up a bigger sort of diversified knowledge of where you can put your money, because I think it's so important at the moment not to be sticking your money in the bank, but to be investing, building businesses, growing your wealth, investing in the right areas, and we're gonna get loads of awesome people uh, that are gonna come on and talk about that. Our first episode is actually going to be with us with a specialist, um, somebody who writes for the um, for the Financial Times, uh, talking all about investing in stocks and shares at the moment and how 
even as an amateur, you can actually, you know, do this fairly successfully and really make this a part of your um, investment strategy. So that's going to be starting to come out pretty, pretty soon. I think we've got the first ones in a couple of weeks time. Um, so look forward to that. And as I said, I'm looking to do a live stream over the bank holiday weekend over on YouTube as well. If you do not follow me on YouTube, you're not subscribed to the channel on YouTube, Go onto YouTube after this now, type in my name, Sam Norris, that's N for November, O-R-R-I-S. I will be the first thing that pops up because I test it fairly regularly because I'm very egotistical, clearly. Um, and uh, you will be able to go and subscribe to uh, to the channel. There's nearly 200 videos on there, guys. It's literally like Netflix for property finance. Um, so I'm sure there'll be something on there that you will find interesting. I've just had a little question pop up, I think. Um, which I can quickly answer. Um, Ilian has asked, how to value a five bed masonette to convert into an HMO? Very, very good question, but I will try and answer as quickly as I possibly can. So a five bed um, masonette, um, or sorry, um, a five bed masonette will be valued as, when you purchase it, if it's a masonette, it'll be valued as a masonette, it'll be valued as a fat single family home. When you convert it into a five-bed HMO, it will be go, go from C3 classification to C4 classification. You will not get a commercial yield-based valuation on that. You'll have a bricks and mortar valuation, but they will take it into account that it is an HMO, basically. So that's a very, very quick way of letting you know. So the masonette, look at other, other five, a five-bed masonette. That's a big old masonette. Are you certain that this is real? Uh, you're just making this up, Ilian. But a five base five bedroom family home c3 home will just be valued as a single unit when it gets converted into it's a five bed hmo then it will it'll be c4 not sui generous only sui generous uh, um property properties which is seven bedrooms or more generally speaking will be given the opportunity for a commercial yield based valuation rest of them are going to be uh, bricks and mortar there will be a little bit of an uplift considering that it's an hmo but generally speaking it's a five, it's uh, going to be considered a five bed um, HMO C, C4 classification, therefore bricks and mortar valuation. So hopefully, Ilian, that was quest that was a good end to our live today. Um, guys, look, thank you ever so much for joining me on this live today. Um, I really appreciate you giving up your time, spending a little bit of time with me, uh, chatting about all things property. Um, I am going to be live next Monday at 5 p.m. Um, even though it's a bank holiday, I'm going to be doing the live at 5 p.m. next Monday. So please join me then. And if you have any questions in the meantime, that we didn't have a chance to ask me today, do feel free to send me a direct message. I do get around to answer them all eventually. It takes me a couple of days sometimes, depending on the volume, but I will get back to you. But guys, thank you so much for joining me. Have an awesome rest of your week. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Catch you next time. Cheers, guys. Bye. Yep, that's it. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the episode, guys. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of the other Game of Loans podcast episodes, please, I would ask you a massive favour to leave a five-star review. It massively helps me grow the podcast and reach more people that will hopefully enjoy the episodes as much as you have. Thank you so much in advance for this, and I'll hopefully see you on the next episode.